0: As many of you know, for the past 18 months, year and a half now, I've been doing a specific type of investing strategy called dividend growth investing. Right here, this is my portfolio. It it says passive income, but that's really not what it is. It's really dividend growth investing. Now, part of that is that you focus on dividends, which generates passive income. The portfolio value right now is $42,000. I have a little over $4,000 in gains. If I go and I rewind back to when I started this, you can see that my first deposit was December 18th of 2017. So right at the end of 2017, I threw in $100 into this portfolio, and then I started to just invest like crazy and reinvest all the dividends back into it and grow the portfolio over time. Now, about four months ago, I created a YouTube channel, and it's called The Joseph Carlson Show, what you're watching right now. The first video that I uploaded was four months ago, A $25,000 portfolio update. And then since then, I've just been going week by week and letting you guys get an inside peek into this style of investing. Uh, Since then, a lot has happened. I've learned a lot, gained a lot of knowledge about this investing strategy and been able to grow my portfolio nearly twice as much, the gains twice as much as well. Um, And we've gained about 15,000 subscribers. So we have a lot of new people here. And I've gotten a lot of different questions on this portfolio, this style of investing, questions on taxes, and why I didn't choose different styles of investing, and how I keep track of all these different holdings, and everything from A to Z. So What I wanted to do in this video was just take a step back, go through what I've learned, and try to share everything that I think is useful for people jumping into a dividend growth investing, and even understanding really what it is. So the first thing that I wanted to do was actually give you a couple reasons of why I chose this strategy, dividend growth investing over many of the other good strategies. So I'll go ahead and I'll just list out a few things that I looked for when I first was researching and deciding what I wanted to commit my money to. The first thing was, I'll go ahead and type it out here. It generates competitive returns. This is a must. I work hard for my money, I'm sure that you guys do too. You want your money to work hard for you. You need it to give you solid returns that are dependable over a very long period of time. The question is, does dividend growth investing do that? Now, I do something different than most financial YouTubers out there. They will give you lots of theory and different advice and different articles where they give you bullet points about things. And then they never actually show you their results. They You'll never see their portfolio or where they actually have their money or how much money they have in it. What I'm doing is week by week, actually giving you the results of this very investment strategy. So you don't have to wonder how it's actually performing. You can see live what's actually going on. So far over the past 18 months, I've actually beat the market. It's been going really well so far. Now, having said that, an 18 month time period, of course, during a bull market is not enough time to actually determine whether this strategy will continue to do well for like the next 20 or 30 years, right? So what I had to do when trying to decide if it was gonna generate competitive returns was I had to look at historical data and see if dividend growth investing has done well in the past. A couple things that you can look at here. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, why dividend stocks are popular again. That's the title of the article. If I scroll down, there's one paragraph here I want to highlight. I'll go ahead and read this this paragraph. It says, from 1958 through 2018, a portfolio with the top 20% of S&P 500 companies ranked by the dividend yield and weighted by market capitalization outperformed the overall S&P 500 by 2.13 percentage points annually, according to Chicago-based GreenRock Research. So this study showed that over this 50-year time period, that a dividend portfolio of the top dividend payers outperformed the broader S&P 500 by quite a bit, 2.13 percentage points annually. That's a 50-year time period. So that's more than my 18 months here. This 18 months, it's done really good, even in this time, in this high growth, high tech startup time. This dividend growth portfolio has done good. But now we know a study's confirmed that it, that this same type of strategy focusing on companies that pay high dividends has also performed better than the S&P 500 for the past 50 years. And we this isn't the only data point. We can go and look at some other ones. So there's an Investopedia article here. says, according to Merrill Lynch, over the 10-year period that ended December 31st, 2015, the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, those stocks within the S&P 500 index that have increased their dividends each year for the past 25 years, aka dividend growth companies, they produced an annualized return of 10.25% versus the 7.31% the S&P 500 overall with less volatility. Not only did these dividend growth companies, these dividend aristocrats, they outperformed the S&P 500 index, but they did so with less volatility pretty astonishing accomplishment there. So to answer this first question, does it meet this requirement? Does dividend growth investing generate competitive returns? I'm arguing that yes, it does. Historical data, these, I mean, these studies and these articles, they're not anecdotal. You can find a lot of data, a lot of different studies showing that dividend growth portfolios uh, focusing on these companies that continually pay dividends does give you competitive results over long periods of time. The next thing that I'll look for i I'll go ahead and type this out. Long-term strategy that doesn't require constant research. So when you're looking at different investing strategies, I know sometimes it's fun if you want to open up a Robinhood account and invest in the latest IPO. If you want to play around with Uh, Shopify these really volatile companies and you read all the earnings reports you get really into the last statement the CEO said and you know you're buying Tesla and these different really volatile companies now that you might make money with them you can generate competitive returns with that but is a long term strategy that doesn't require constant research. You might want to do that for a couple of years, but do you really want to do that level of intensity and in research for the next 20 or 30 years? Do you think when you're 35 years old or 40 years old, you're going to be trying to read the balance sheets of Tesla or try to figure out what hot tech startup company is going to take over? I don't think so. I don't think it's realistic. What I wanted to look for was not only a strategy that gave me good returns, but one that I could do for a long period of time that wouldn't wear me out over time, that I wouldn't feel exhausted after a year of doing it. With dividend growth investing, I think it does that very well. I think it's a very manageable strategy with very low upkeep. On my portfolio, I have a lot of holdings. I have like 60 holdings. And over the past six months, I think I've changed out one holding. I've sold one not much change has happened. Really, it's a a very low maintenance portfolio because mostly all you're doing is you're doing upfront research to decide what companies to buy. And then you're just constantly reinvesting in them unless they cut their dividend. That's pretty much the strategy. And companies don't cut their dividends all that often unless they really have to in some circumstances. And then you just sell those companies and put them in the ones that didn't cut their dividend. So it's not too complicated of a strategy. Having said that, there's some caveats. There's a few companies that are these uh, really high yielder ones. They're not quite dividend growth ones that I have in my portfolio where you're not counting on them keeping their dividends. So in this portfolio, I'll just say there's a couple exceptions to dividend growth strategy. Bonds are not dividend growth holdings. In real estate, there's a couple REITs that are mortgage rates that are not dividend growth companies. So those ones are outliers. They don't really count in this dividend growth strategy, but they still are cash flow companies. But regardless, overall, this portfolio is very low maintenance. You don't have to do a lot of research continually with it. You just monitor your companies and make sure they don't cut their dividends. Now, people ask me, well, you have 60 holdings. How do you keep track of the news of all of those if they cut their dividends or not? There's a way to do this. It's very simple. Go to seekingalpha.com. This is what the website looks like. It has an article part of it. I really don't use that all that much. What I do is I use the tools that they have here. So you can create a portfolio. First of all, create an account. It's free sign up for an account on it. And then you hit portfolio here. Now all you have to do is enter in the ticker symbol and add the portfolio of all the holdings you have. Don't worry about any other information, putting them on of shares you own or anything like that. You just want these in here. And then what you do is you go to the email alerts. On email alerts, it will look like this, and you have all your alerts here. And it knows your email address, so it just alerts you if anything happens with these companies. Then I can go to my Gmail account. Here's my Gmail account. At the top, you can see it says label dividend-news. I just created a simple filter that filtered out any emails that had the title dividend news in them. So I can go to like AT&T here, says AT&T declares a 51-cent dividend and in line with previous i can go jp morgan jp morgan want plus 1.5 percent on boosted dividend stock buybacks so they rise 1.5 percent after hours trading after unveiling a capital program so it gives you some news about the company like that mostly it will give you some different dividend news jp morgan chase declares 90 cents dividends and that's a 12.5 percent increase from the prior year do you see what's happening here JP Morgan just gave me a 12% raise for owning their shares. They're paying 90 cents per share instead of 80 cents per share. That's dividend growth happening right now. And that just happened on the 27th. So I look at these alerts and this will also, it'll show up red if they, Uh, If they slash your dividend or cut their dividend, it'll say they cut their dividend to this amount and you'll get an alert right in your inbox. So you don't have to do any of the work to actually actively monitor these companies. You can use Seeking Alpha or any comparable service to have them send you notifications of whether or not these companies maintain their dividend or not. If they cut their dividend, then you can look into it, see what's going on. You might decide to sell it at that point. And you can look and see if companies are increasing their dividend, if so, by how much. So the upkeep is very simple with this type of portfolio. It's something that I don't have to do constant stressful research on, something I can do long-term. Now, the last thing that I'll list off here, I'll go ahead and type it out. It's is does it generate another stream of income so right here this rules out a lot of the just passive index uh, portfolios that aren't focused on income i specifically wanted something that was focused on income and the reason why is I saw what happens when people invest and they accumulate assets that are constantly spitting off income. I've seen that throughout my life with my parents investing in rental income properties, how much wealth they're able to generate over a long period of time, not by the appreciation of the rentals themselves, but more so the income that those rentals generated. It was all about the income. That money being paid month over month, and being reinvested into other properties and compounding generated a lot of wealth over a long period of time. This portfolio is what I'm planning on modeling that same type of investment strategy. Every single holding that I have pays me income on a quarterly or monthly basis. Every single one of these, all 60. And I won't hold anything that doesn't because the biggest factor in me tracking this is the amount of income that I'm receiving. So far, On this portfolio total, I've received over $1,000 in dividends. Now that's going up rapidly. If I look at some charts here, here's a graph that I look at. This is the monthly dividend one. Uh, Most of you have seen this before, but you can see this graph and how it's just increasing over time. Of course, I mean, the companies pay out on different months. So like January here is a low payout date. But overall, the trend line is going up drastically. I've hit three months in a row where I'm at $100 or above. The top one's $122. If I go down to here, this graph shows them grouped into quarters. You can see it just increasing quarter over quarter. And I track this so much, this is the biggest indicator I look at, my stream of income that I'm generating on the side. So if I go here, here's one that I personally use. It's a little bit smaller, so it might be harder to see on your screens. But this one is monthly income here, here's my portfolio value, here's my quarterly dividends. I go ahead and I make sure this is always up to date. It's my favorite thing to track with this portfolio is how big of an income stream I'm generating outside of my work. The way I figure it is the bigger of an income stream you can generate outside of your job, the less reliant you are on your job. And the less reliant you are on your job, the more financially free you are. Financially free means that you could quit your job anytime and your life wouldn't really be all that affected. And the way to do that is by having assets that produce income for you month over month and support your expenses. That is a huge component of the strategy. These three together... I think, explain why I was normally attracted to dividend growth investing. It generates competitive returns. Whatever people think of saying that you only get really conservative returns and you should just focus on pure growth companies, they haven't really looked a lot at the data. Dividend growth investing does generate really good returns over a long period of time. The second thing, it's easy to do over long periods of time. You don't have to be a genius to figure this stuff out. You just simply follow these rules, you stick to them, and you should have solid returns if you implement the strategy and you're diligent and you stick to it. The third one is I like the fact that it's focused on a stream of income. It gives you something that's easy to track. It's visual. It's something that's motivating to keep you invested during hard times. And I think it's something that allows you flexibility of what you want to do with that money. It's not the company deciding everything they want to do with all the money and you're just along for the ride. You get a say in what you do with the money, whether you want to put it back in that company or when you want to put it in a different company offers more flexibility or whether you want to use it on yourself. So you have more flexibility having that money as income. So these three things put together summarize why I've chosen dividend growth investing over other strategies. I will say there is another reason. And I'm not. It's not a serious one, so I'm not going to list it off as a fourth reason why. But I just, I, I mean, let's go ahead and look at my portfolio. This will explain why. If we go to the activity feed here, uh, before real quick, check this out. So M1 Finance, they updated the activity page here. So this isn't the one that we're all familiar with. It looks a little bit different. At first glance, it actually seems pretty simple. Just seems like a like an Excel list but it actually has a lot more functionality. So now you can actually search and go, I wanna see all the activity with Realty Income Corp. Boom, and I have everything that's happened with this one company just by filtering it right there. So I can get rid of that. Another thing I can do is I can punch in date ranges here so I could see all the activity with a certain month and I could look right here and I could go, hey, I wanna look at dividends only. Check that out. I can see every single dividend deposited in my account. But this is another reason why I like this strategy. Honestly, it's because it's fun. I can look at this. I can go and I can go to the first of the month. And since June, June 3rd is when I got the first one for June. $2 and then another one on June 3rd, $1.37. June 4th, $0.31. Cents. June 5th, $1.73. June 6th, $15.63. June 6th, $0.69. Cents. June 7th. I mean, look how many I got June 7th. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different payments. $2, $11, a one $2, $4, $2, $2. Uh, June 10th, $4, $2. I can continue on and keep going. I mean, on the 11th, I got another $4. On the 12th, I got $1.20. 13th, I got 93 cents. 14th, I got $4, $7. Uh, the 17, I got $12. And I mean, just this goes on and on. It's literally like every two or three days, uh, I'm getting paid multiple dividends. And a lot of these aren't I mean, these aren't like 20 cents dividends. You hear me naming these off. There's one that's $19. Here's one that's $12, $5, $7, uh, $2 and 40 cents, $6 and 96 cents. I mean, these are that's a good amount of money. This is like paying for your lunch every single day, right? So another thing about this strategy is that it's just plain old fun. Like you get to see your cash going in all the time. And I think that that's something that's easy to overwrite. People can say, oh, well you get the same amount of reward with share buybacks or you you get it with capital appreciation. But I don't think it has the same motivating factor. And we're dealing with humans here. People are investing. There's a reason on that image that shows the average return of individual investors compared to the S&P 500 or real estate or all these different sectors, the individual investor returned 2%. Do you remember that image? I can toss it up on the screen. 2%. So we're dealing with humans here and being able to have something that is fun, that will make you motivated to invest and continue to invest and keep you invested. Even if the math is equal with other types of strategies, there's something to that. If this strategy is more enjoyable to invest, more fun to do, if it gives you visualizations and better ways to track and keep motivated to invest, especially when you have drawdowns and when you have bear markets. I think there's some value there. I think that that adds value to the strategy. It makes it so that the average person, which you and I are, we're, we're less likely to run out of our investment strategy or give up or become unmotivated after a while. So uh, that's a, like another fourth reason. Now, I, I didn't list that off because it's not a serious reason like the other three, but I think it's something worth mentioning that you look at this and it's a pretty fun strategy to do in comparison to the other ones. Um, Having said that, I do like this new activity page. In fact, I can go reset here. You can filter everything. I can see my deposits. I did one today. This is a deposit that hasn't been invested. I can look at the trades here and you can see trading 24 buys. I can click into this. And then it has that list that we're familiar with where it shows all your different buys, $1,000. Anyway, I think it's a pretty clean way of looking at it. I like that you can filter by date range. You can look at the different types of activities that goes on, cash movements and position changes trading you could look at that only or dividends only pretty cool stuff so another thing i like about this platform m1 finance is that they're constantly updating it and improving it i see changes like every couple months on it there's just more and more changes to it that are that are positive so if you do want to use this same platform just check out i have a link in the description just as a referral link and it directs you right to it helps out the channel a little bit when you sign up through that i appreciate you guys doing that Now, I did have a lot of questions that I wasn't able to get to in the previous video. I said I would get to them in the next. So I'm going to go through a few questions in this one. Okay, so the first question here, I thought this was a really good one. The name, I'm sorry if I butcher this, Uh, Badilio, Badilio, I think that's it. Anyway, uh, he says, Joseph, would a dividend approach cause you to pay extremely a lot in taxes unless it's inside a Roth IRA? Uh, Yeah, so you get, I mean, the Roth IRA is like the golden account for tax treatments. the the, it's such a good account that the government is limiting how much money you can put in it. They put limits on the amount you can deposit every year. They put limits on if you make too much money because they know you're just, I mean, you're just stealing money from them at that point. It's such good tax treatment. All the gains on it aren't taxed. Great for dividend investing. Having said that, the majority of my money is in a taxable account, which I am going to be paying, especially as that account grows and I get more dividends and it becomes a bigger part of my income stream. Now, here's the, the part where I think people are a little bit misled. And I don't really agree with the assessment that a lot of people characterize dividend growth investing, the extremely part of it, where they say, it's extremely bad tax treatment compared to capital gains investing or growth investing. What I wanna do is I'll go over to my portfolio and we'll try to break this down. In fact, I'll go to the draw online thing here. Let me go to this first. So I'll go ahead and I, I think I could break it into maybe three different sections here. And this will give you a basic idea of your tax implications for a dividend growth investing strategy compared to just growth or value investing or just buying ETFs, that type of thing. So. Over here, we have capital gains. Now, capital gains, for the most part, this is what you're going to do if you do the traditional modern portfolio theory of the S&P 500 for like 60% of your portfolio and then a little bit of international and so on and so forth. You just have a basket of six ETFs. They're all growth-based index funds, right? Uh, You'll get some dividends, but the majority of the strategy is capital gains. For that, you pay a 15% Tax rate for most people. There's some instances where I think you can pay like 20% or 0% based on your income, but most people are going to fall right in that that category where they where they pay the 15%. Now, this capital gains is what you pay whenever you sell equity in a company. So, with dividends, most of the strategy is based around not selling, being paid dividends. With uh, other types of investing, most of it's based around capital gains. So, this is the ma- majority of taxes that you pay are at this 15% rate. And you only pay them when you sell, right? So if you're building them up over the course of 20 years, you're not really paying this 15% until you sell. Now, if I look at this and I go to dividends here, okay, so we have qualified dividends here and qualified dividends are a little bit different than just normal dividends. Qualified mostly means that you're just holding your normal company. You're holding a, a Costco you're holding Kimberly Clark. You're just holding these normal companies. They're not anything like REITs or MLPs or or, uh, these mortgage REITs or anything like that. And you've held them for, I believe it's over 90 days. Once you've held them for long enough, all the dividends that they pay become qualified. The tax rate for qualified dividends is 15%. The same thing. So right there, the tax rate is the same. The difference is, is you're getting paid dividends more frequently, so you might incur... This tax a little bit more frequently than the capital gains side. Now, if you sell, if you're buying in and out of companies and selling, you're going to incur this capital gains tax, the, the same rate as the qualified dividends. But for the most part, people that are investing in dividends, most of their holdings are going to be qualified dividends. So the most that you're going to pay on those dividends is 15%. Like if I look at my portfolio, for instance, just to give you an idea, I have, uh, I have bonds, utilities, finance, healthcare, consumers, telecoms, industrials, tech, energy. Now, this 20% here that's real estate, REITs fall into a different category. REITs are taxed as income which means that I can't say you're going to get taxed this percentage or this percentage, because as we know, in the United States, the amount of income tax you pay is dependent upon your income. Now, if you make more than 35000 up to like $55,000, you are going to be paying some of it just as you would your normal income tax. And then if you make over $70,000, you are going to be paying like 20% or so. Don't quote me on this. You'll have to look at the margin tariff tax rates here, but it goes up as you earn more. the The more that you earn... The, the more the tax burden is with REITs. If you're earning over $200,000 a year, that's when these taxes on REITs are really gonna hit you hard. They're gonna take like 30, you know, 35% of the income that you're making. If you're really wealthy and your income's over 300,000 a year, the REITs are gonna be, I mean, you're gonna be paying 35% plus on them. So it totally depends on your income. For most people, this is gonna fall right in that same 15 to 20% tax rate. So across the board, you're paying 15 to 20% tax rate for the majority of people. And that's the reason why I say I don't think there is an extreme implication with it. You pay these taxes a little bit more frequently. Another thing that you have to keep in mind is the positive tax treatment that REITs get as a company before paying you the dividend. So most companies like that that pay capital gains or the qualified dividends. Most of those companies have to pay federal corporate taxes. If I look at REITs, they get tax exemption. So for all practical purposes, REITs are generally exempt from taxation at the trust level as long as they distribute at least 90% of their income to their unit holders. However, even REITs adhering to this rule still face corporate taxation on any retained income. So all the money that they're paying out to you, they haven't been taxed on a federal level, which means that they're getting no taxes on their side. And so they pass that on to you and then you have to pay income tax on it. So it's really not as bad as it seems. REITs is a company, the government has given them special tax incentives to be able to distribute more money to their shareholders and you're the beneficiary of that. Even if you're paying 20% or 15% taxes on your REITs, look at how much they're actually paying you out. If I go to my REITs pie here, this is the in my passive income, this is the REITs pie. The average dividend yield of this pie is 6.3%. That is a lot of cash flow that I'm getting from these companies. And that's a that's not super aggressive with REITs. Around 5 or 6% is pretty on par. That's what you should be getting from REITs. So you're getting a lot of income. Uh, you can pay 15 to 20% of those dividends you're getting, but I don't think it's enough to deter me from the strategy. I don't think it's an extreme difference between this and growth investing where you pay the 15% on capital gains. You do get a little bit better tax treatment here. I will admit that this strategy does have a little bit higher tax implications. You have to decide whether the tax implications in and of themselves are enough to make you choose a different strategy over this one. Uh, and that, that's just going to come down to what you think. But I think the tax treatment of dividend growth investing, um, it's a little bit worse, but I think it's overstated a lot of how, how much people say it's worse than other other taxes on investments. I don't think it's all that much worse. All right. So the next question, rather, this is a uh, comment that was left uh, a few days ago. It's from Johnny C. He says, what happens if most of your dividend stocks plummet in value? I couldn't live with that for a lousy $200 per month. Okay. So I mean, there's a possibility that the portfolio could plummet in value if we hit some big recession or something that took down all these companies. Um, I think that if my portfolio plummeted in value, so would every other portfolio that's invested in the stock market. I hold a lot of just blue chip companies that are indicators for the global economy. So having said that, I think that there's a misunderstanding with uh, the word lousy in front of $200 per month. I don't think people understand how much money that is. If you look at this, let's go to a compound interest calculator here. Current principle, let's start off with $200. Annual edition, uh, $200 a month for, for 12 months, that's $2,400 a year. Years to grow, let's just put in 30. And then interest rate, I'll pick a super low amount of interest, 3%. You can pretty much get that guaranteed. Like savings accounts are doing like 2.4% right now. You could lock that in with a CD at 3%. So if I go calculate here, $118,000, that's what the average person is retiring with right now. It's $118,000. They're living off of that and social security. So $200 a month, I don't think is lousy at all. I think that that can lead to a lot of money. $118,000 is a lot of money. So you have to look at this over long periods of time. I don't expect my income For this portfolio to just stay at $200 a month for the next 30 years. I plan on growing at $250 to $300 to $400 and so on and so forth until I'm making thousands of dollars a month being reinvested and then later being used partly for my enjoyment and being able to live. So uh, yeah, I think $200 a month, I don't think that's lousy at all. I think that's a lot of money. Uh, People that they don't realize that the dollar amount, it, you have to separate passive income from active income. $200 a month that you're just not working for at all, is that's a, there's a lot of value there. That's a lot of value, especially if you put it into good things and you, you invest it over a long period of time. The next question is from Lupe. He says, hi, Joseph. I love the channel and your explanations regarding investment principles. I do want to ask you on your opinion on M1's expert pies uh, for the target date funds if they are a worthwhile investment. Okay. So I'll go to that in my portfolio. You, uh, to get to this, you go to research and then you go to expert pies. And this is pretty cool. So M1 provides you with a bunch of different things that can give you ideas of different things you can invest in. So like one of them that's pretty cool is hedge fund followers. And you can follow the same type of investments Berkshire Hathaway do. Of course, you can invest directly in them, but this shows you all their top public holdings that are listed and so on. You can look at all these different uh, hedge funds as well. Now, one of these are planned for retirement and then you can do target date funds. So you can pick the date that you wanna retire. Like I can pick like 2050 and I wanna be moderate. So I'll pick this one. And what M1 did was build out these pies and they automatically update based off of that date. So the description of it says, The 2050 moderate pie is built for investors with medium risk tolerance who expect to retire around 2050. M1's target date pies are built as long-term investments meant to be held until and into retirement. Target date pies include a mix of asset classes, including stocks, bonds, commodities, and cash, so on. So this is one of those ones, like if you have a Vanguard target date fund, it'll just change the holdings as it gets closer to the date to be, uh, it'll, it'll go from really aggressive to really conservative as you transition from young to old is pretty much what it does. Now, what I would recommend is if you are going to use this, I might not just add it to your portfolio directly because what happens is they will change your holdings on this. And if they change your holdings, it'll issue sells and buys without you doing anything. So what I would recommend is if you are going to do this, that you just mirror this, you replicate the same exact allocation and then check in every once in a while, check once a year and see if they change anything. That way, if they change anything and you don't agree with those changes, you don't have to change your portfolio. But if you're like, oh, it's time to update. I want to change mine. You can go ahead and just swap out whatever holdings that they they have here. So that gives you a little bit more control over it. That's what I would do personally. Um, I do think that it's a very solid thing to invest in. They use pretty much all standard Vanguard funds, it's all growth-based. None of this is going to be like dividend-based for these target date funds, but I think that they're very solid investments. I know a couple people, I think I have some family members doing these M1 target date funds, and I, I don't have any issue with them. So uh, if you want to be more hands-off, just, just do this. If you want to be completely hands-off and never have to check your investments, this will be a pretty solid way to do it. So this next one, again, it's not really a question. This is a comment left on the video, but I think it brings up a really good point. This is from the account name. It's on YouTube. The account name is Barry Mouse. And it says, frowny face, 60000 to 80000 is double my yearly income. This is on the one where I talked about my life story and parts of it. I shared my the progression of my income um, at different stages in life and they're saying that sixty thousand to eighty thousand, what I was earning at the time, is double the yearly income right now. And it says, "Sigh, it's hard to save up on low income." And I feel like this is the case with a lot of people that might look at my portfolio and they see, you know, over forty thousand dollars in it. For a lot of people, that's like double their yearly income. So it can be very disheartening to see that and think, "Well, maybe this isn't for me. I, maybe you know, I can't invest with my income, or I shouldn't even bother with it." Right? And I just came across a few different posts that I think are relevant to this. So these are on different financial forums on Reddit. One of them, the title's a little bit misleading here. It says 110,000 net worth in four years with 25K salary. So obviously not all of this net worth came from salary. What happened was this person was able to gain a net worth of $110,000 in four years, working a $25,000 salary a big portion of that was they bought a town home and then the town home appreciated they sold it and they netted like $60,000 on it. But even aside from that, it says right here, it says our income was definitely closer to 2,000 per month. We saved on average 800 per month for 4 years, $38,000. And a lot of this, I mean they they sold their home which gave them some money, they saved up money and then part of that was an employer helping them contribute to their HSA and 401k. So they used all the possibilities they had to get money from other sources to help build that up. But regardless, $25,000 salary and $110,000 net worth, that's possible to do. And you can't do it unless you actually start being proactive, start saving and working towards it. On the side note, I would still continue to further educate yourself, to s- develop skills that can be used to make it so that you earn more money because you don't want to be making 25000 for the rest of your life, right? You want to increase that, try to get you know, get past 40000 into that range where it becomes a little bit easier on you. Uh, here's another post. I'm the most financially irresponsible person I know. I make a six-figure salary and I'm always broke. I need help getting my shiz together. This person's not unique either. There's lots of people that make six figures and they don't have anything to their name. They, they don't... I mean, they're just running a couple thousand dollars in their bank account, just enough to pay the bills. Whenever money comes in, money goes out. And that's what they do. So even though you're, you know you say 60000 sixty to 80000 is double your salary, you need to develop skills in saving uh, so that when you do make more money, which you will if you continue to try to, you will make more money eventually, you will have those skills already developed of how to save, how to prevent yourself from just having lifestyle creep catch up with your income. Otherwise, you're going to be exactly in the same shoes that this guy is. He's just honest in admitting it. There's tons of people like this that they make $200,000 plus and they do not accumulate wealth over time. They might have a bigger uh, checking account instead of having $4,000 in it. They'll have 10, but they're not like they're not investing it. They're not saving. They're not building up net worth over time. So learn those skills early on so that when you do start making money, it's a lot easier because your attitudes about budgeting aren't going to magically change once you start making more money. Um, and then, I mean, there's there's more examples of this. Here's one more. It says, a 24-year-old closing in on 100000 net worth without a huge income, just low expenses and high savings rate. And he, again, he goes through and details out how he's not part of this tech uh, field, or he's not part of the healthcare or accounting or finance, or all these ones that are popular on this forum. He just makes a decent income. His salary is 58000 He had $100,000 net worth at age 24. I'm sitting here, I'm gonna be turning 30 years old soon and I'm like excited about, you know, passing $40,000 in my brokerage account. So again, your savings rate, keeping your expenses low has a way bigger impact on the amount of money you make. Uh, i make more money than this person but because i have more expenses and more things with a with a family and things to take care of i'm not able to save as much as he is so if you can teach yourself to save you will be able to build up a portfolio don't get it in your head that you'll never be able to do that. You may as well not start that type of talk. You, that, all that type of negative stuff is just going to hold you back. Anyway, I'll leave it there. I hope you guys have a good week. I have another video coming up. Um, I hinted out a, on my uh, YouTube page, the community tab, where I asked questions of what are the biggest criticisms of dividend growth investing. So I might go through a couple of things that people mentioned there. I think it'll be interesting. Anyway, hope you guys have a good one. I'll see you next time.